Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the Independent Media and Politics podcast. I always do this a bit too fast, I and mean, then I listen back to it. And I'm like, "What the fuck are you trying to communicate, Kyle?" We'll try and slow down for the actual content. I'm joined by two friends of the cast, um, or I guess co-creators. This what is it morning to talk about Hipkins uh, and Labour and all the moves that they're making, kind of on the against the backdrop of the flooding in Auckland and now elsewhere. We're starting to see some actual political activity, not just crisis activity. We've got Rusty. How are you doing, Rusty? Good morning. How's it going? And we've got John. Welcome back. Yoda. So I, I guess the big news, the big uh, political news that had everyone uh, losing their minds. And that's not something that often happens in New Zealand politics because everyone likes to pretend that they know everything uh, and be overwhelmingly smug about it. Um, and I'm not carving us out of that uh we also love to do it but we kind of did predict this we back a couple of weeks ago if you listen to the podcast when our Dern stepped down one of the things that we noted was they know they they have the the information uh around who's voting for what they're constantly doing polling our Dern would not step down if she thought that she was going to go on to definitely win it um there was absolutely going to be some electoral calculus involved uh, in her standing down and handing the reins over to Christopher Hipkins. Um, although we're not we're not saying Christopher Awa, we're just saying Chris, we're just saying Chris Hipkins. And yeah, earlier in the week, um, just over the last weekend, we had a poll out uh, and the kind of political media lost their minds. Uh, but it, and, and to be fair, like it was far better for Hipkins than I thought it was going to be. But Rusty, do you want to kind of take us through what happened there? Yeah, and I mean, I'm glad you took notes of what we said a couple of weeks ago because um, I I don't remember making any predictions. But um, I think basically, yeah, Hipkins has seen a reasonable bounce, and I think whilst that is sort of fairly predictable that like new leader, positive coverage, gets to tell his story in his own way. He gets to say, a boy from the hut, a boy from the hut, a boy from the hut. Um, I don't mind being called chippy. You know, um, you get that kind of positive initial impression before politics comes back. Um, you know, it's not entirely surprising that he has seen um, some lift in, in his level of support. That said, I think the the bounce that he's picked up is around sort of six, six, seven percent compared to where they were um, immediately beforehand. Uh, that's pretty good by historical standards. Like, you know, yes, David Shearer and Andrew Little also got bounces when they were appointed leader of the Labour Party. Um, and, and look where that ended that, up. And look where that ended up. So, like, I don't think we all need to quite, you know, lose our minds set our hair on fire, declare victory and say that it's over for um for Luxon. But the 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 lift that um Hipkins has seen has been, you know, well above the sort of normal amount. And I, I think the the point I was making online is that compared to the incredible volatility in both directions that we had during the Ardern era, where her initial uh, when she initially took over the leadership that that's the i think second largest kind of event that's ever happened in terms of the the um impact on electoral political positions in new zealand and the largest was the initial declaration of the um covid response 
so that we've had sort of on Labor's side two once in a generation um, events happen within a couple of years of each other. Happening more and more other, often, I hear. Happening more and more often. And then on the other side, Luxon's reconsolidation of the national vote after his appointment is similarly on a, on the same scale. So we've seen these this in, yeah incredible kind of volatility of support moving between parties. And I I think it is in part being driven by the scale of the events that we're encountering, right? That um, Labour got to where they got to under in in 2020 because of the, you know, enormity of the the situation and the kind of sense of insecurity people felt and the the fact that, you know, they were at that point doing a very good job. Um, And similarly, as that's ebbed away, you know, Christopher Luxon, value over, I would actually say probably slightly under, um, below average National Party leader at this point, was still able to, you know, claw 11% back off them. Um, So the fact that you have a, you know, late 40s, early 50s, Pakia man back in charge of the Labour Party getting a kind of 2 to 6 percent bump in the polls and a bit of you know positive coverage for a while it's like kind of pleasingly reminiscent of normal the normal times um and i think that is if i was to sort of try to figure out a kind of theory of what's going on with hipkins leadership that sort of this is a return to normalcy type message sort of does seem like it there's like you know this is no longer the kind of age of heroes um with with Jacinda Ardern in charge this is kind of a allegedly center-left having good chats productive conversations with business third-way Labour Party leader that's that's sort of the 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 initial reaction I guess the other thing to take out of the polling is sort of where it's coming from and it's sort of got lost in the wash but this is not just national voters re- swing voters returning from national that both the greens and new zealand first who do still exist um saw a decline in their support so it's sort of a on a smaller scale similar to what we saw with our dern that sort of as support for labor kind of atrophies in three different directions as people you know go off them a bunch of that is returned home so you know the the kind of net impact of this for, for the left is not necessarily as great as it is at first blush greens around seven percent is not the same as the greens around 12 so yeah and perhaps we can talk about what that means and what's happening there at some point alongside that as well there are a couple of other um so there's the party polling the really interesting thing for me is just how high hepkins Pulled on preferred PM uh, immediately, but just better than Luxon. Uh, Luxon dropped in this poll by about 2%, um, and Hipkins came in at 22 which it's not surprising to me that he's competing. It is surprising to me that he had as much of a brand, I guess, as that to, to start with. Uh, I, I expect to see maybe a slight upwards trend on the second poll. But he's just, yeah, he's entered... Uh, it seems like a lot of the stuff with the COVID response did really stick with people. I'd heard a lot of people referring to him as like a minister for everything kind of thing. You know, oh, he's got it. He's, he's been across all the different parts of, of government. He, he knows what he's doing. They really do think of him as some kind of handyman. And that, yeah, it's it, it kind of almost show, it shows a gap between what the electorate is thinking around this stuff and both what the Labour Party was trying to manufacture um, and what the media kind of were trying to give us as analysis, because all of that, it, 
turns out was probably already there. It didn't need to be like he, he didn't need to show up in like some wraparounds and a cap. You know, the 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 sentiment he didn't have existed. to, but it's bloody good that he did. <laughs> uh, and the other part of that, and this is this is a new entry, I think, in New Zealand politics. We haven't really seen it much ever. Um, and that is the uh, trust polling, which is what we call a, a game changer because it's a, it's incredibly important for one thing. I, I really rate stuff around trust um, and how the electorate thinks or whether the electorate thinks that a politician can deliver, I guess, or, or whether what they're saying is true. I, I think that's incredibly important, especially in the current age where uh, brand politics, um, you know, some people call it virtue signaling or, or whatever is right. And that's across third way and um, le- left and right politics because they're both kind of the same thing. People offer a lot. They, they say they're going to do all this stuff and then they just turn around and don't do it. Um, and Labour in particular has been incredibly bad at that over the last couple of terms, but no one trusts the right wing to do it either. They they also say a lot of stuff. And I've got those this... numbers here, actually. Oh, um, yeah. Give us those numbers, John. So uh, Chris Hipkins, uh, do you trust the leaders? Uh, Hipkins, 52.9% people say yes. 26.9% say no. For Luxon, yes, 36.9%. No, 43.8%. Which puts Chippy at 26% up. Like 26% in the plus of people who trust him. And Luxon is minus 13.1%. And, and that's if, and when that's you look really at those bad. numbers in comparison to other elections and other leaders around the world, if people don't trust your political party leader, even though we're not in a presidential system, it massively affects them when they go to the polls. I mean, uh Bill Shorten over in Australia had the same thing, which was his trust levels were fucking rock bottom even though the poll said his party was doing well. And when it came to election day, people went, yeah, but do you really want him to be prime minister? And, you know, and that's happened in a few places where it's like, oh yeah, I like the party's platform, but I don't think the guy in charge can do it right. And I think if we had these numbers for Cunliffe, Shearer, Goff, I think Luxon would, Luxon's in that zone of opposition leader. You know, I think Collins was probably a hell of a lot lower. Uh, bridges as well so it's it's a it's a very it's bad in a way because it's starting to treat politics like it's a presidential system but even though it doesn't quite map onto it it does give us a okay how do people feel about hipkins how do they feel about lux and in a way that which party do you trust more on the economy is more abstract if you know what i mean because it's like yeah, we you know we might not trust them on this, but actually, I think that they'll probably do a good job anyway. Which is a kind of uh, it's it, like I said, it's a nebulous thing. Whereas actually saying no, no, this guy, this guy, I know this guy, and I trust him is something you can't buy. You know, you can't no. ad campaign or media spot your way into trust. And I think it's it's sort of like those do you trust this person question is like climate the you know what do you think of their performances like weather and i think what the i do quite like that they are asking this kind of question because it, it you're right it gets at something slightly deeper than just oh hipkins is the fresh new face he's getting positive coverage so mm. honestly people have heard his name a lot and so with that kind of um familiarity they say labor in the the polling Numbers like, I mean, those those numbers for Hipkins look basically like kind of 26% of people in New Zealand would never say they trust a Labour leader 
regardless of who they are, you know, doesn't matter. That's national score vote. Like that's that's, a... nat- that's national score vote. And you know, similarly with Labour supporters for 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 Luxon, but the fact that though the number who of of kind of gettable voters that do trust Hipkins for you know whatever reason he is, I think that's what we tend to forget is how much. If you're not a nerd <laughs> who follows this shit for fun, I've never been one of those. This is not fun. This is not fun. No, no, no. no. This is a compulsion um, and a <laughs> disease. Um, but he's one of the probably two, maybe three cabinet ministers that like you would be able to pick out of a lineup. People don't know who these other people are. And I think because of Hipkins' role in the um, code response, people know him. He's a familiar voice. Some people in Auckland might be a bit annoyed at him after the um, lockdowns up there in 2021, but people are familiar with him. And it it, it it gets at, yeah, I think Luxon's, I was saying before that, you know, Luxon's kind of a below average, um, below replacement value national leader. And I think it is things like that. Um, do you trust us or do you trust him question that and maybe this is is hope or cope on my part but like numbers like that look pretty bad for him um I don't think it's you know unwinnable I'd be interested to know what David Seymour's numbers look like on that front because he persists <laughs> in the media discourse um well I think this but... is one of the really key things is that something like a trust metric given we don't have a UK media which I, I think is also really important, it gets past that uh, kind of backhander, um, tit-for-tat stuff that the media here does do. Um, so while Seymour is is in the media a lot and like uh, getting a lot of uh, free coverage um, and is given the benefit for the doubt uh, almost 100% of the time and gets to go on Dancing with the Stars, etc., I, I too would be interested to see what his, his trust is because he still seems like a fucking weasel to me. I don't think that is an uncommon view. But similarly, uh, Luxon has had just a lot of really good free press as well. He's, he often gets to say things um, and get printed uh, without analysis. Um, he gets to do the photo ops. When he when he started doing this thing where he was turning up at like fast food restaurants, people saying, oh, we want more of this. We love this. It'll show uh, people that he's a working class bloke or whatever the fuck. Despite... Uh, that kind of media narrative, despite uh, those photo ops, it's bounced off because it's not really there. Yeah, it gets to the heart of an electorate in a a way that the presuppositions of our political commentariat uh, just seem incapable of at the moment. Because, I mean, we've all seen people like talking about how Luxon is connecting with real Kiwis and how he's good on the economy. And clearly not the case. This This should be a really big wake up call for anyone who is doing political media here because it's at odds with how they've been reporting on him for the last few years. Well, since before he entered Parliament, you know? Uh, And I I think a large part of that is probably, again, this comes back to being politics nerds or whatever. And we've always said that him flip-flopping on stuff, or what what does he say? You know, he needs to clarify. And by clarify, he means say the opposite thing. Sometimes that can seem like we're in the weeds. We're like, but look at all these things he's doing. But it's egregious enough that I think that's getting through. He'll show up in, in a, on the morning radio station on RNZ and he'll say something. And then by 10 a.m., um, his deputy or one of his spokespeople will have had to clarify and say that's not what he meant. And then maybe by 1 p.m., he's come out and said, oh, no, that is what I meant. Uh, and they were wrong. That stuff sticks. Like, 
as much as you try and like do the 24 hour media cycle and like brush past the stuff and move quickly um, and look at big events and look at big um, set pieces when it, it's been happening for like 12 months that Luxon has been interacting that way with media and he can't stop because he doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't have the experience. I mean, I think I, I, I did some posting about this the other week and I was like, John Key came into parliament in 2002 and he had six years of experience before he became prime minister you know and he had three years as opposition leader Luxon had 18 months he's had 18 months he's going to have just under two years before he tries to go for the big job and he just hasn't got the experience being the CEO of Air New Zealand does not make you a good politician it doesn't prepare you for being part of the media cycle it doesn't prepare you for having to be specific or dealing with unanticipated questions and he gets found out now we're, we're doing some focus on hipkins and, and luxon here but there's something about the polling that that isn't being mentioned enough and i know it's you know you uh you do not have to hand it to him but has anyone noticed how david seymour seems to have secured act 10 percent of the vote consistently and we hate it and we hate it but that 10% of the vote was the national vote. That was nationals vote. Mm. And in what 2017, ACT got 0.5% of the party vote. In 2020, they got 7.59%. And they're polling consistently at 10 now. And it's and, not it's not an artifact, right? I think. No, it's 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 solid. He's managed to get solid. that solid it's base. Organic. And it's, it's, it's organic at this And this point. is why I say this is unpopular. David Seymour is one of the best performing political party leaders who's not in government. He's annoying. He's a prick. I hate him. But fuck, has he done a really good job with with what he's got? Like he's got a caucus full of headbangers, and he's managed to keep it tight. You know, he doesn't fuck up in the media that much. He knows who he's talking to. He's not trying to cast a wide net to try and snare Labour voters. He's talking to that ten percent because he knows he can get it. So every time we're all just like, oh fuck off. He's like, yeah, fine. I don't want your vote. He's doing that thing we say that the Labour Party should do more often, which mm -hmm. is he's talking to his voters and saying, vote for me. I'll do the shit you want me to, rather than going, uh, yeah, yeah, guys, I know you're going to vote for me anyway, but I'm going to go and talk to this guy over here who thinks that uh, Macrons are actually evil, you know? Or, you know, I think that I think that the water should have more shit in it, um, actually. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, we and, talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago as well, and I... I suspect that he's got um, two or three percent of the New Zealand first vote as well, and that's mm. where he's been consolidating the extra three percent of that seven point five. Yeah, um, and it's that's the real difference between you know when ACT were previously doing well in two thousand two, it was rich pricks from Epsom and Islam and North Shore. They now have this rural support base, um, which are probably not as affluent as um, their traditional voter, and it is it's the they've inherited yet yeah, sort of two to three percent of New Zealand first voters um, and they they know how to talk to them and they're saying the right things to get them and I think you're exactly right John is that um, they've got a climate denier and a, and a guns rights person exactly and I mean look honestly if someone gave me two hundred thousand dollars of Alan Gibbs's money um, every year I could probably look pretty good in the media as well um, but the fact is every act leader before him has had that um, you know had that uh, support from certain corners of the business class 
um, and he's the one who's been able to make a go of it. Yeah, I think probably his greatest success is not just absolutely losing his mind like so many act leaders before him. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Yeah, well, not yet, anyway. Anyway, no, this, or, has or the people David, this has been the David Seymour stand. Um, <laughs> or, or having yeah. like... Issuing people... a correction to my previous statement, you do not have to hand it to uh, David <laughs> Seymour and the act party. Um, but, but I think it's it important is, to it's, be it's realistic. It's wild, because it is, it is, it's being realistic, and it is in... You know, he's watched the act. He's watched National Collapse. You know, Bridges, the pandemic, Muller, Collins, and he just, you know, he kept running it straight, effectively. And it's like I said, it's really fucking annoying. But you look at it and you're just like, that ten percent in the poll seems to, like you say, it's not, it's not yeah. a fluctuation. And Luxon knows he's either got to go after the Labour vote, which if he does, he's going to lose more to, he's going to lose more rightwards. Or he's got to try and get that act vote back on board. And if he does that, he's going to lose like his liberal kind of the liberal ones because he's going to go too far. He's he's stuck in like a real nasty little position there. And I feel so sorry for him. You know, I, I am weeping at, <laughs> at, the, at the crisis that is facing Christopher Luxon. I'm weeping tears onto his big baldy head. Yeah, something I've been mentioning the last couple of weeks as well is we might see act and national actually go after each other for the first time maybe in my life <laughs> um no 2005 was pretty brutal that was bef- that was the year before they had the, the um, epsom deal the epsom deal national did want to kill the act party at one okay. point and in, in the way that labor still wants to get rid of the greens yeah, um, I, I like there's an outside chance to challenge Epsom, you know, like oh that would be so fucking good if Luxon was just like fuck your cup of tea, I'm taking your seat. Yeah, man, but that also it doesn't matter, great. right? Like I don't think um, he could. I, I don't think, think he could. could. No. Yeah. But it'll be Seymour is personally popular there. It'll be fun. Ugh. It'll be really funny. And I, I think National probably do need to do that, but I don't think they have the capability to do that, to take back some of the act vote. I don't think they're clever enough. I don't think they have the the back room that understands how to do that. Their back room is is more like an act party back room um, in terms of ideology. They've got some like real spinners in there, man. Um, you know, people from the New Zealand Initiative. It's why when Lux went over to the UK, he was standing up in front of these incredibly right-wing economic think tanks. These are people who supported um, and pushed for the trust um, tax changes. This is the ideology of these people, and that isn't that isn't so a national party. Jamie thing. Jamie White's old lot, isn't it? The um, the IEA. It is, yeah. That's where exactly. Jamie White went to after That's he correct. Um, discussed um, discussed incest with yeah. uh, David uh, and Black. and whatever else. And was whatever else. Mind. There were some other policies, I guess. But you know, the, uh, the I should be able to fuck my sister. Uh. <laughs> but this is this thing. Like <laughs> this is the problem: is that they are the caucus and who they brought on the backroom staff are. I probably ideologically at odds. They're going to find it incredibly hard to try and do a third way um, on that basis uh, to challenge Labour effectively. And going after ACT is going to be at odds with any type of compassionate conservatism they have. ACT has already started releasing policies and they are incredibly far away from reality. Mm-hmm. There's some really nasty shit. And that's not to say that National ACT won't win the election. I, I think we also need to be <laughs> very aware of that. But they are probably going to have to fight it out um, on in several areas. The question will be whether or not they can turn that to their advantage. I think that's and that's the kind of reality with Luxon is he has been playing on easy mode since he was elected. Um, you since had before a, he was elected. Since, well, since before, since he since was the CEO of Air New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, 
when he was CEO of Air New Zealand, he'd had a, a, a previous incumbent who had built the airline up to international status. Um, and all he had to do was ride that, ride that wave and ride a wave of low oil prices. But since he's he's been like, um, appointed leader of the National Party, literally all he had to do was not trip over his dick and he was going to get to 35% in the polls. And he has managed not to do that so far but i think he is very flat on his feet there and i think it comes to your point john about the lack of political experience that he has is he misses easy layups the press after hipkins was appointed asked him do you think you can win the election and he said i don't know and it's like bro just lie just lie everything else it's easy to just go yes yeah of course i do i think i think yeah. we're in a great position to take new zealand forward and you know undo yeah, some of the message fucking... done. fuck i can do that yeah <laughs> i'm not good at poll i am i am and that is why at... i'm declaring my candidacy for the <laughs> national party I, I mean, like you said, he, all he had to do was not trip over his dick. And basically all he had to do was not be Jacinda Ardern because there was that kind of leadership exhaustion around Ardern's leadership, which is everything has been crisis mode for like three years yeah. and people were just like, fuck, man, this is like, you know. Yeah, I hate to say it in this kind of weird thing, but this kind of every time you saw Jacinda, you were just like, oh, fuck, what now? and it's not her fault you know no, it's not God, her no, fault. No. It's, it's circumstances and you understand why she stepped down but all looks at people were not like preferring national because of national they were saying because it's not our turn and that kind of personality yeah. thing was was real you know and it was fuck yeah we're, we're done and now you or, get a new guy in it and things are a bit it's better. it's People desperately, desperately wanting it to be 2016 again with, you know, relatable, slightly naff John Key in charge of a, you know, pretty don't rock the boat, don't do anything national party, everything's fine, the economy's booming, the sun is shining. It's It was it, tapping into that, whereas, yeah, I think the, um, the Labour Party, you know, the Labour Party's brand at this point is crisis. <laughs> um and fuck, I, 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 one thing I do remember we said two weeks ago was that like crises like these are going to keep happening. Um, and I feel fucking bad for saying that because I did not think it was going to be this soon. But it's, it's, Hipkins is now having to go into his version of, of crisis response mode around the flooding in Auckland. And I think to the extent that Labour can be seen to be doing a good job of that, especially by contrast to local leadership in Auckland. Mm -hmm. Um, it will probably do do them very good. But I think what we also need to hope for is like, it shouldn't just be being perceived to do a good job by the um, kind of people who get to have op-ed columns and, um, you know, speaking slots on ZB. It should be that they are actually out there providing easy, readily accessible support through MSD to people mm. who, you know, can't afford to, who, who chose to drop their insurance because um, the cost of everything has gone up by, you know, a huge amount in the last two years who are exposed to these repeated <laughs> shocks to the system. And I think it's that that need for for a compassionate response at a, at a sort of deeper maintaining a functioning society level um, that will help labor long term yeah. that will help bed in that that's you know it's i think it that 
reason 55, 60% of people trust Hipkins is I think because for all their flaws, they are seen as being like, fuck, they like, yeah, I fucking hate the Ute tax, but they've had our, they had our back. I um, think that's a really key thing. Through, through everything. And it, and I, I'm aware that we um, slagged off certain people in the media for, for immediately pivoting to talking about all the Auckland floods. I'd, and I'd the, do it again. <laughs> in a political context, but I think there's there's a difference between just going straight to well, what does this mean for polling? And you know, if Labour are able to have a competent and empathetic and kind of pro-social response to repeated events beyond the scale of what we could have ever expected six seven years ago, they will be politically rewarded. I don't think that's a cynical take. I think that's how representative democracy is supposed yeah. to work. And I think we missed it a lot. I think we we're, we're talking about the the theatre a lot more than we're talking about the reality in, in New Zealand when we're talking about politics, which sucks because it doesn't help inform the electorate at all. You know, it doesn't, and it doesn't help inform the politicians at all about what the electorate's doing. And that's why they hire these shitty polling companies for millions and millions of dollars and hire these PR people to try and like pump themselves up. I think you're absolutely correct. It is this Labour have our backs kind of thing. That's where they really win in crisis management rather than like all the kind of stardust like great communicator stuff that surrounded Ardern uh, when she was fronting um, during these crises which itself was you know theater kind of created by the media because there are also real and we know this from from Auckland there are real benefits to communicating clearly during a crisis (laughs) I guess the question is, and I, I want to move into the cabinet reshuffle. Uh, so Hepkins has started to kind of show what we might have uh, or what Labour might have in store for the next nine months um, by signalling some changes there. But we talked about where National needs to go for votes um, or, or where they can maybe look for them. But where does Labour go? Uh, and this was like probably one of my bigger concerns uh, when Hepkins was announced as being the likely leader when he was the only person standing, is that he is presumably um, kind of more to the centre-right uh, of the Labour caucus, um, especially compared to some of the other people who could have stood. And it may have signalled a move to trying to pull back some of that uh, electorate from the National Party um, and acting and, and creating policies to do that, which I think would be horrific. But where else Where else can they go? You know, this is one of those pieces of received information that the political media made a, a big noise about uh, in 2020. Um, and then Labour government very swiftly tried to own themselves, which was this tiny percent of uh, national voters um, who swung over to Labour uh, that Grant Robertson had to repay. Um, like this is literally the language used like he stood up and said thanks to the national voters essentially and not to like as much as you know the other 40 plus percent and this that is voted for labor and i think that you've got to make an important distinction there between people who have in the past voted national versus capital n capital v national voters yes labor got probably eight ten percent of like normal like died in the wall proper true blue conservatives they don't need to win those people back and the fact that they try and they want it to be 2020 again is pathological that said they do have to win over people who are open to voting for national that's kind of the you know realities of um of electoral democracy um with the you know the dynamics we work with 
but you don't do that by just being the national party this is the drum i'm gonna bang until it breaks and i don't care if i'm wrong and i don't care if the Labour party don't listen to me i think i'm right is that <laughs> what labor need to do to get those five ten percent of swing voters they need they don't need to get all of them you know compared to where they are in the polls now they need to get one two percent more right you do that by being good at what labor is good at and you know emphasizing that and talking you know using events to your advantage and to say that like look the reason we did all of this um reform in the health sector is because you know we needed to get that in place so that the the extra funding we're going to give is going to make a difference and look here's a bunch of more money for the nurses or you know um we're going to make primary care free for you know everyone or whatever, whatever those things are they need to put those things in the front of people's minds and say yeah shit shit's fucked up and bullshit and we're in this together you know let's do this whatever whatever slogans you need around it but there's been this definite kind of make fetch happen media narrative that what labor need to do is just stop they need to stop three waters they need to stop co-governance they need to um stop the rnz tvnz merger which is clearly the utmost you know the foremost idea in every swing voters mind is what happens to the you know, bureaucratic reform to public broadcasting incredible yeah um take your pick it's, embarrassing. It's, it's labor need to drop all of their their various initiatives because that's what's making them unpopular and it's like they definitely need to change tack on things but it the 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 in what direction yeah and and the framing of of what they need to do that's that's the kind of media bias that i totally buy into it's the kind of baked in embedded neoliberal um kind of bias of like oh no what's smart and what's centrist and what's sensible and what what what's what's water you know it's what's it's, expedient yeah and i i think they do that at their peril i think what coming back to the reshuffle a lot of this is court politics a lot of this is like unix and the byzantine empire sniping at each other and all what is the secret meaning of you know um chris hipkin standing next to andrew little and the fact that the nanaya mahusha in the cabinet photo is further off to the side it's like a lot of it is oh, that's just... pretty anti-work that sounds pretty anti-work to me oh god no no we don't need to do that <laughs> kyle we don't need to go there but, but this is the thing um, right like the theater has become its its yeah. own uh reportable feature self-referential cycle yeah and it, yeah. it is it's totally recursive um they're the PR coming out of the parties, National Act in particular, and, and their surrounding think tanks like Business New Zealand or whoever, or the New Zealand Initiative, have created this whole host of uh, things that people are apparently voting against. But that doesn't really happen. Like, something has to be incredibly bad for a significant number of people to be, like, choosing to vote for the other party. These are very narrow niche issues that maybe 1% to 2% are voting against. Um, and a lot of those people are just ACT voters. Um, or we're off the New Zealand first, or I mean, one of those little minority things. And I, I think it looks like Labour isn't going to bend on that. I think they understand that. Uh, but they're also not giving people something to vote for. And I, I think that is the real issue. And it, it it really does seem like our major political parties have forgotten that they they do need to put something on the table. Like, start those bribes, baby. Like, really... You, Call call the voters in. And because the other direction that Labour can go is try and pick up some of those non-voters. 
Um, and from what I've been hearing on the street, lots of people are like, I don't, I'm not going to vote. Like, I don't, these are people who, who have voted in the past. They've, they've voted Labour, they've voted for minor parties, but they are not like us. They are not, you know, they're not like looking at all their options and analysing the parties and looking at the policies um, and saying, hey, that one's actually really good and that will pull Labour to the left. So I think I'll vote for this party. They're like, well, anyone I vote for isn't going to have power. Uh, Labour aren't offering me anything. So what's the point? There is a there's a very significant contingent of uh, people who are feeling that way. And this is this is people who are like, these are still online people. Uh, to some extent as well. These are people who are engaged. I think that unless something changes in there, we're seeing a, a significant drop from 2020. And I know that 2020 was a big turnout, but that's how Labour loses. That Labour loses if if we lose 10% turnout. And if they want to ensure that doesn't happen, something needs to be dangled. And, and I don't think like the Greens can, can pick up that vote in the same way that Labour can, because... The Greens can't show that they can make it happen. At talk, this if, point. We talk, if we talk about Hipkins and Labour at the minute, we're talking about what they're not doing. I tell you one thing they haven't, like Hipkins hasn't done so far. He hasn't made a mistake so far. Like he hasn't fucked anything up that I can see. Like if we talk about the reshuffle. Good start. After the election, if Labour win, Grant Robertson's going to step down. I'm going to call that now because you look at. It's on the record. Look at how Michael Wood has got immigration, transport, unions, assistant minister of finance and orphan. That looks to me like exactly the same process that Ardern went through boosting Hipkins by giving him a few jobs to do. So he gets the profile and he's ready to step into that role because Robertson said, I'm not going to try for leader again. And whether or not they knew it or not, this kind of like the Hipkins succession plan, which wasn't officially a thing is a thing that's happening here that he's found himself in a position where he does have a brand of competence and trust like we talked about and when robertson goes wood is going to step into that position and the important thing about this is it's a labor party that appears to actually think about it rather than say the end of the clark years where yeah i was gonna say where you just had a lot of ministers who were good ministers actually shit, shit leaders it looks like the Labour Party has learned a trick. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be a good trick in the long run, but they've learned it and they appear to be implementing something along the lines of succession here, which is good. It's very good. And this, they're not doing anything. Hipkins has been asked, oh, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? He goes, yeah, yeah, we're going to wait a little while for that. Because I think he's, wait- he's waiting to see what National will do now. You know, he is kind of just going, go on then. You, you want to win, go for something. And then like they'll drop on it. Yeah, I think he's he's just he's trying not to give them too much to 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 kind of criticize or go after. I think three waters and co-governance being uh renabled Mahitahi, like they announced that yesterday, fucking great guns, especially for um all the oh well they're gonna ditch three waters because it's too woke. And then just going, nah, fuck it, co-governance, let's go, baby. Um, I think light rail's fucked. I don't think they're gonna drill a tunnel under Sandringham if if they've got any fucking guts, they're going to run a fucking tram down Dominion Road, okay? And they'll get Don McGlashan to sing Dominion Road on the top of a fucking tram <laughs> as, it goes, as it goes down. Possibly get the Darts boys to do their version as well. I mean, the the, the thing that, that, that you were saying about, you know, which direction they go in, I think Labour need to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think they need to fucking bottle up and go for it. Oh no, we've done like you see, like 
Clint Smith posting the look at all of the things that Labour's done, and I'm just like, yeah, but like, what have you done for me lately? Or, or not even, or like even hearing a minister talk about it, you know, hearing some members of the Labour government go, no, actually, fuck, we did this. National didn't want to do that, we did. Yeah. Fuck National you, didn't want to do ranks. this, we did it. Now, yeah, yeah, National want to fucking cut the state. What services do you want to lose? Look at what Wayne Brown's doing up in Auckland to the Citizens Advice Bureau. That's what they're going to do to the whole country. Do you want that? Yeah. And a lot of people are going, oh, fuck no, I don't want that. Like, they've got to stand up and fucking take a swing at shit. You know, they've actually got to fight. Because... I think this is another thing which has um, not been talked about yet. I don't know if I, I'd say it's been missed, but coming into this year with Ardern at the head... Uh, we're starting to see a lot of stuff um, like, oh, oh, you know, this has been ongoing, but it looked like it might become a problem for Labour, which was the juxtaposition of the kindness narrative as like a an attack point um, from National Party and, and the outriders. So like, oh, what about kindness whenever Labour did anything? By Ardern stepping down, Labour can now go negative and give no fucks. You know, they're like, they're not going to get hit with that but anymore. No. Not not negative in negative in a positive. Not I think aggressive is John. You put it the right way. Yeah, but I mean, that's what's called negative. Yeah, and, but this care, is right? the thing. But it's positive for people who kind of agree hey, no, with you and are on your side. And I I think the point about Michael Woods' role, the attitude he brought after, um, you know, Hipkins took the leadership. Or you know, he just was straight out the gate. Our opponents are politically lazy. They have no message, no policy. They stand with the privilege. And I was like, "Fucking hell, yeah, brother!" Fucking <laughs> say it. And it's the advantage of being as party as large as Labour is, is that you can have guys like Michael Wood who can speak to honestly people like us who want to hear that kind of aggressive. We are here for a. Yeah. We believe that government can do good things for people and we're going to say it loudly and we're going to point out the fact that um, our opponents are empty suits designed to protect the powerful. And yes, you can have other ministers or you know prominent spokespeople in different roles um, doing the, you know, you trust us, we're actually pretty good. Um, we're going to do sensible things and bring people together, consensus, kind of, yeah, bear. Um, that looks the opportunities people, party. Yeah. Oh, we, that's a, we that, put a pin in that for a future episode. Because um, <laughs> I got some thoughts. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think they can't just do the, please vote for us, please vote for us, we'll do anything you want. You want us to drop three waters, fine, it's gone. You want us to, yeah. you know, um, cut taxes, yeah, okay, we'll we'll, we'll cut your taxes. Like, there there can't isn't be... a set of, like, rails that you can't get no, off. And no. they've they, they come to think of it, it's been institutionalised to an extent where they're like, oh, we're just implied, we have to listen to the media, we have to listen to polls. And mm. it feels like Labour's being captured by that. But there is, what's there going is in a broad team if you don't use it? This, this, this reshuffle does, like, would like he can fucking get up and say like stuff like my our opponents are politically lazy national didn't have a response to it because they don't have a response to that they don't know how to deal with it because they've been used to kind yeah. of oh yeah well we try and work with national and stuff um aisha verrill in education in, in health is a good choice because it's like i'm a doctor i know how this system works it's it's competence and she's she's a young mp who's willing to you know, actually take a shot. Jantanity in education as well as a former principal and someone who stood up when it came to the BDMR and told like all the fucking right wing to go fuck themselves. You know, effectively, she just went, no, we're doing this like, like eat shit. Good. 
like having people in these positions that can do that and um fucking kieran macker in local government as well because he's going to be going around in whatever new ute he's got to talk about three waters and say no i like i'm a boy from the wire rapper i know what they're fucking talking about i know what this is about it's moving twyford clark Potter williams or putty williams here uh, kind of moving andrew little out of the way as well and putting in some younger faces who have got the ability to stand you know they're not just worn down by it all and going yeah well we can't really do anything about that it's people going no nah, fuck it let's go you know fuck yeah. it you, know, you I need wanna, that like i want to see kieran mcnulty ripping his shirt off and fight fist fighting leighton baker like you know let's go <laughs> let's fucking go you know it's and this is it like i'm probably not voting labor because i don't believe them as a political project you know i'm a socialist they're not but i would at least like to see some competence from our centrist party you know, yeah. I would at least like to see them try something. I mean, yeah, it's it's you, you look at who's in and who's into positions where elections are fought around health, education, things like that. And those are new faces, but they're not like, you know, he sh everyone's like, oh, yeah, but Phil Twyford was a very competent minister. And I'm like, yeah, but he's a fucking disaster area. If you get him <laughs> in the media, you know, he's got a long history of like standing up and sitting down in front of a camera and just vomiting onto the microphone and then the Labour Party has to spend ages trying to clean that up and what Labour are doing is giving that position of someone who fucks up so badly in the media that you've got three media cycles to try and fix it to Christopher Luxon you know they're saying yeah fine you can you can do that now we're going to be yeah. busy with the business of governance and you just go oh shit like good and, and the other thing they can say now as well is like no look we all our senior ministers do have experience outside of politics. Yeah. And that's a that's an attack line that National's been trying to run specifically over the last few weeks um, against a backdrop where no one in their party has experience outside of politics except for the leader. Now, to um, be fair, to be fair, Mark Mitchell has been like a mercenary oh, yeah. in Iraq and has yeah, probably... Yeah. Hey you're right, you're right. allegedly it, done a war crime he has got experience being a huge piece of shit yeah um, and that's perfect for the national party yeah fantastic but i yeah i think i i and this, this is hope um and and this is more about like the potential for change in electoralism here uh but i i don't i think we're still waiting to see what the outcomes are over the next few weeks as to what like all the stuff that John, that you've said, the set, it's a setup, right? Like, yeah. now what they do with it is like really like which direction we go. But it looks like finally the Labour Party is not looking internally at, at New Zealand analysis, except maybe for one of 200. Good work if you are. <laughs> um, and, and looking at what's happening overseas, looking at the, the union movements over there, looking at the way in which during their equivalent cycle, uh, four to eight years ago in the US and the UK, what was really activating voters was more of this firebrand stuff, was more direct uh, appeals to the electorate to get Kyle, them Kyle, on board. Kyle, you can't do that. That's populism and populism is bad. And they're seeing that populism popular. and they're going, hey, maybe we can actually do a bit of that. Um, Centre-left populism, baby, let's go. But, like, and, and this is what they should be doing. We've been saying this for fucking years, um, both uh, before 1 of 200 existed and on 1 of 200. You have to have some of that. And you can do the technocracy. You can do the third-way stuff as well. Like, the problem with a lot of the third-way of the of Labour Party here, and you, fuck, you're seeing it in the UK too, is that the rails have veered to the right, and it's not third-way anymore. It's just your Tories now. You have to do the stuff where you pull the rest of the electorate in. 
Like you're not third way if you're just leaning over for business. It's and it it, it another drum that I'm gonna bang is the original version of third wayism in New Zealand under the Clark government. Yes, they uh, they were not as far to the left as we would have them be. But again, they understood who their enemies were, and the Green Party. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, no, yeah, they they did believe that, and I think many of them still do. Although that might be different with a younger generation who didn't I think so. go through the um, mm. early two thousands. But they had like a respectful engagement with business because. Ultimately, they control the commanding heights of the economy. And if you want to be able to get people, I don't know, plywood to batten up their windows that have been smashed in in a storm, you can't have the you know CEO of Mitre 10 holding out on you and trying to do a capital strike. But they weren't trying to be a party of business for business. And so like, I was somewhat concerned and disappointed that both you know, the kind of two major events that we've been talking about um, with Hipkins, his appointment as Prime Minister um, and the flooding in the Upper North Island. The first thing he did after both of those was, well, I'm going up to Auckland to meet with business leaders tomorrow. And it's like, okay, buddy, I get it. How about meet with some people? Don't, some real people? Yeah, yeah, I'm going up to meet with first responders. I'm going out to, you know, um, meet with union representatives. I'm going out to meet with community leaders, you know. Um, Which he has been so doing I, as well. Which to be, and this is the thing, they have been doing it. And I think the spread as well, the amount of Labour MPs, I mean, just just that Friday, that Friday when it all went to shit. I mean, we talked about it, you talked about it on the last podcast. It was Labour, it was left-wing uh, councillors and MPs who were out there putting the hard yards in. The Labour spread on this issue is really good. You know, not just that Woods is, Wood is now the, the Auckland Minister for Auckland, which again, I think is a killer move. I think it's great to say, yeah, we fucking care about you. I've given you our guy who's one of your guys as well. But I think Hipkins is like, I don't have, I don't, it's not like Ardern. He doesn't have to be everywhere. He doesn't have to be meeting with like, this is going to seem very cynical. He doesn't have to be meeting with grieving families because the local MP can do that job. He can go and do another one. You know, it's less of a key, you know, like we say, we're heading back towards uh, normal politics kind of with the government rather than having this one shining figure yep. who burns out too quickly. And Hickens is like, yeah, I'm going to go and meet with business to his MPs. Right. You guys get out there and go and do this. So, you know, Kira Mack is up uh, in the Coromandel looking at that massive slip on State Highway 25. And he's talking about that. Uh, Red Deb's out there. Like all of these different MPs that are, and councillors are all there. There has been a surprisingly good Labour spread yeah. on this. And it's getting and coverage as well. Yeah, it's more of a t- it's more of a team effort, and I think that mm. Labour have been smart enough. Like they brought and- Andrew Curtin's back in as well, who was in charge in twenty seventeen mm. um, as chief of staff. They've they know that they can't they can't do Ardernism, whatever Ardernism was with Hipkins. It has to be a team effort, and in doing that, they're going to show the strength of the Labour caucus and the wider party as an institution that looks after people. We've got your back and reveal how shallow national actually is at the same time yeah take that um take that line uh labor stuffers if you're listening we've got mm. you back there you go yeah and i think and i don't you know you sort of like oh this could be read as a bit cynical i don't think it's coming from a cynical place i think 
the reason you have people like Joe Bartley and Richard Hills um, and others in Auckland out there is like the reason you end up in left wing politics, especially left wing local politics, is it's for the money. You for the care... money. Yeah, it's for <laughs> um, the money and the business networking that you get that you get to get backhand as well. No, yeah, it's to, to sit in Parliament for thirty years and then be appointed the ambassador to Ireland. Shout out to <laughs> shout out to Trev. How you going, Trev? First thing, you you get elected because you give a shit about your community, um, and you you perceive local central government as being a way to kind of have their back and look out for them. So it's kind of it's no surprise, the, especially um, folks like like Bartley. It's like they'd be out doing this if they weren't elected leader. It's still a you know an electoral role. It's just that you know because they're in an elected role, they're able to do more with it. Um, and I kind of, yeah, I want Labour and the Greens and the Party Māori to lean into that, like, we believe in this stuff, we actually believe in this stuff and would be fighting and finding ways to do it inside or outside of office. It just so happens that we're the ones that are in office, so we're going to use those levers, yeah. but we're part of a kind of broader social and national movement um, to get each you know to get one another through all of the shit and you know maybe we're back to politics as normal or at least as normal as it can be but like the the environment we're operating in metaphorically and literally um isn't going back and i think that the mistake both national and labor could make is that like people desperately want it to be 2016 again and so we're going to act like it's 2016 and we're going to do what would have worked um yeah. for david shearer or or john key um and it's like nope that's not the reality you're in that was you know um that was playing on easy mode we've turned up the difficulty you're going to have to do better yeah and i hope they do and i'm glad that we're bringing kind of a positive attitude and reading of of, of what they're doing because there's the, what's the expression i heard you say carl it's like there's always levers and it's like there's a yeah. moment here where things can be levered in a better direction what worries me is like you mentioned hipkins hasn't fucked up yet he's gonna fuck up mm -hmm. he is we all do wonder boy um, chris hipkins no fuck ups here <laughs> and that they will lean into um albanese's small target strategy and everyone is trying to be the smallest target possible so small that you can't even see them mm. i don't think um, they're gonna go and this and this but the cynicism in a, a and and kind of condescension of a, a certain kind of media commentator will pull them into that direction because they'll try things it'll fuck up and the the easy cynics out there will go, oh well, see, you knew you were going to. I told you you were going to fuck up three well, waters, so you should never have tried, and that's yeah. why you should never try anything. That's already is, started, and um, that's that yeah. kind of micro targeting. There's like I think it was Smalley or Hawksby, you know, one of those two um, had a piece about um, Ayesha Verrill being too timid on the on the podium, and like how it was a mistake to make her the minister for health. Like that's that is an insane take. That is in, like that is. That's just paid for, like, or, or may as well be. That, yeah, it's and or you're going to see a lot vibes, of vibes-based analysis, man. It's just like they're it's like, of course, yeah, they're right, they're right wing, and they're just like, oh man, I don't like the vibes. This Labour thing. It's like, am I fucking surprised you don't like yeah. like a Labour MP, Rachel Smalley, who has just basically shit out of her mouth constantly for like the last week, and it's been posted as news talk media. Honestly, like how many fights she's like, oh well, actually Wayne Brown's doing okay. Oh, it's just like fuck off. 
Like, honestly. And just... Everyone can see it's not the case. And I think this is where that kind of broader base, like sharing the load is going to make a real difference. Like, they're just not going to be able to target all the ministers all the time if those mm. ministers are highly visible doing stuff. Like you say, though, like someone is going to fuck up. Um, there will be a mistake. Labour needs to have a strategy for that um, and how to either move that on or gloss that over as, as quickly as possible. I think probably the best thing's going to be the, yeah, we fucked up. Um, luckily, we've got this whole team ready to go and unfuck it up. And you can rely on us to do that. Or like, you know what's more fucked up? Those guys over there. Um <laughs> Yeah, there's a whole a range of ways to do that as long as they're prepared for it the biggest kind of risk is that someone fucks up badly and they scramble and don't look like they know what they're doing yeah they, they panic it although we you know how we were talking about uh, left-wing people in or out of office uh just getting into the community stuff um shout out to professor collins who wasn't in auckland when the floods hit but got the fuck back there quickly got into the community and got on the ground doing shit and helping people out like he also ended up doing a shitload of media as well overseas. They were because yeah. they couldn't talk to the mayor. They talked to the mayor, the guy who didn't win the election, who gave Incredible. a better media account of it. But like Fess, Fess doesn't have a role. He's not an elected official. But shit, ha- shit went down in South Auckland, and he was there. You know, and it's like good. That's that's what should be happening. It's it's really nice to see. You know, see see a Fesso just go. Yeah, yeah, I lost, but I'm not, you know, he lost and he's not bitter about it, whereas Wayne Brown won and is really pissed off about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what do we think? Um, We've seen the cabinet reshuffle. We've seen like these polls come out. You know, it's it's looking like it's going to be a nail biter, uh, as as they say. Where are the levers? What, um, you know, talked about some things that Labour could do, uh, going to a kind of back to a broader tent, giving people something to vote for, being more aggressive. What do we see happening over the next nine months for either Labour or National that really tips that? Not in the business of making predictions. Not making predictions, like talking about possibilities. I think for all of the positivity that we've been, um, you know, generating here, they are still driving with the handbrake on because they have kept, had to keep Robertson in finance. And I think the real test for the kind of up and the 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 up and coming um you know leaders in, in the Labour Party is how they're able to negotiate Treasury says no, Treasury says no, Treasury says no, that'll cause inflation, Treasury says no. That will lift government spending above a um inflationary level. You can't do that. And so, you know, they're gonna have to fucking do some handbrake turns. I don't know. Triangulation in the good sense of the word. I think Auckland Light Rail is a perfect example of this, of the plan they have at the moment is crap anyway. It's massively overspecified because they want to keep business owners and landlords on Dominion Road happy and don't want to get yelled at again like they have through the um, CRL construction. They can say, look, you know, given the constrained circumstances we're in, we've, um, you know, decided to come up with a new plan. It looks exactly like the plan that's been in place for 11 fucking years to put a tram down Dominion Road, throw it over Mangari Bridge and send it to the, yeah, I mean, send it to the airport. And it's a cheaper option, but it's like, look, as recent events have shown, the realities of climate change and the need to have resilient transport systems infrastructure they can lean into that and so and i think similarly with three waters you can say like look we've heard you know the the concerns of local communities and like 
the the scare campaign that's been going on. And I think some of what Hipkins has, has been saying in the lead up to um, commemorations at Waitangi is the good version of this, is like there are some cosmetic changes they can make to, I don't know, representation or how the boundaries are drawn or whatever it is that allow them to sort of say, we've listened, but we're still, you know, we're still doing the shit that needs to get done. We're not just sitting down and, and declaring defeat. I think the history is vindicating them in some ways that like there's a massive need to invest in infrastructure and not just pipes in the ground. Like I think this is some of what we're going to learn coming out of the, the events in the Upper North Island is that like there needs to be a fucking transformational change in the way Auckland deals with water and that they can kind of focus on that the cost of living shit's fucking hard because having just shit talk treasury it's like no there there are there are limits that are in people's heads like oh that's a certain debt percentage kind of meaningless numbers that even the imf doesn't care about but then there are like no there are real practical limits to the amount of stuff and the amount of workers so they will come up against those and if they you know yes they they should just increase benefit levels um, at least in line with inflation or to the levels that the WEAG said that they should. But that's kind of pushing on a wet noodle because all of that immediately gets eaten up by inflation because landlords will put rent up. But you've got to do it anyway. Rent freeze, so, rent freeze. <laughs> yeah, especially in Auckland right now well, where it's like, shit, it's, an, it's, it's an emergency. You can say, you know, there's absolutely no reason people should be profiting off tragedy. It's not like putting a price cap on bottled water supplies where you scare people off from bringing water into a disaster area it's like they're not going to build more houses because they're allowed to charge more rent right now because a bunch of housing stocks being destroyed there's no argument from a, an economic perspective to say oh but you know if you interfere with rental prices it'll be bad long term it's like it's fucking it's, it's the fucking apocalypse man like <laughs> chill out for a second and yeah, they could do stuff like that. Um, but I don't know what else. Again, it's a fucking hard lift and I'm glad it's not my job to figure it out. John, what do you got for us? I think they've got to they've got to do some things which are gonna be unpopular. I say unpopular, I don't mean with uh with I don't mean with like the majority of voters, I mean with like business interests and things like that. I think you bring in a higher tax rate and you just say, No, fuck it, let's gonna we're gonna do this. Uh, maybe drop GST on food, you know, see if you can knock some of the, like, see if you can knock some of the edges off pricing and saying we're doing everything we can. We're doing what we can here without uh, materially affecting the services, which we are going to be relying on as the climate crisis increases. I think Labour are going to have to accept that the Greens are going to be asking for some things which are going to drag them left. Uh, literally just now I've just seen uh, 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 Doc Kerikeri up at Waitangi has uh, said the Greens are going to call for the end to the perpetual leases of Māori land that the Crown acquired in the 19th century. Because there's like Tokarimu Bay and places like that, where that land was, the Crown took it to look after it for Māori, and there are people living on it who pay like peppercorn rent. And there's people nearby who are Māori of that area who cannot use their own land. That sort of policy is something you will not see Labour come out with. Like Te Pāti Māori, yes. Greens, yes. So the Labour's, like you said, triangulation of saying, you know, let let the Greens cook on this, let them let them do this. You focus on the bread and butter. Yeah, and I think it's it's allowing giving a little bit of space for National to stick their chin out and get their bell rung as well. You know, just saying to them, okay. So and and part of this kind of links to Auckland when Wayne Brown's budget comes up in May, 
you know, we're like three, four months out from the election and it'll be like, this is what national offer you. And if they yell long and loud about the amounts of cuts that will be happening to essential services, you know, this will be the impact. This is what will happen. Do you want this for the whole country? While obviously trying to combat it as much as they can, it'll provide a little bit of, oh God, yeah, I remember national do do this sort of thing, don't they? So they said, you've got to, you're going to have to let the Greens and the Māori Party kind of go off on stuff. And Labour are going to take some hits from this. You know, there's going to be points where, you know, Labour are going to have to answer questions about, well, they want to do this and you want to do that. And, man, 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 would you be in government? It's one of the most trite uh, narratives, there. And it's one that they never say, ah, Act want to uh, abolish most of the tax system and have a referendum every year on the Treaty of Waitangi. Yeah. And it's like, again, they've got to be more... I know we've used the word aggressive a lot, but they have to be more confident in themselves and just be like telling National to get fucked and sometimes telling the media to get fucked, you know, uh, picking up comrade Mick Lynch's approach, which is like, that's a stupid question and I refuse to answer it. Um, I'm going to talk about the issues that matter what to people What are you today. talking about? Yeah, seriously. Seriously, <laughs> what world to, do you live in? To be fair, Hipkins has said that. I'm not going to play the rule out game. That stuff is trite. You know, that I, I think he yeah. describes that's trite bullshit. It's like, and it's, yeah, you, you're going to have to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because the media will try and pull you on that stuff because it's it's good TV or whatever. I think for me, like one of the and and I'm this is one of those things where I'm like, am I giving strategy to the national party? But I think they can't help themselves, so I'm pretty comfortable with this. Um, national are going to have to try and go after some act votes. That's already looking like it means like wholesale racism, and that's the direction that they might get pulled in and end up fighting with act over stuff and not with labor. Uh, and that's probably like a really good lever for labor to pull if they can. I I have this vision of the debate and Luxon says, well, we're going to cut taxes and we're going to do this. And Chris Hipkins stands up at his lectern, leans forward and looks at him and goes, where's the money coming from Christopher? Where's the money coming from? <laughs> show me the money. He does. He does. Show me the money. He does. He does the John Key, Phil Goff thing and just fucking ethers him. Yeah. It would be so funny to watch that kind of like that come and back and fight National media, in the ass. The media will love, will, would lap that shit up too. And I think it is the show me the money question. And I think National are getting exposed on this. We had Nicola Willis going off about like, oh, the disruptions to the public transport system are terrible. And this is another sign of how labor are weak and useless. And immediately like, what are you going to do? It's like, well, I would simply more aggressively, I would more <laughs> aggressively recruit drivers. And it's like, how? And don't, and, and, do you, and, do you... and increase immigration. She said, I will aggressively and then sort the immigration problem out. So it's, we're going to import cheap labor. And you say, same old national, same old solutions. You want to increase yeah. pressure on infrastructure. You don't want to invest in it. You don't want to pay people fair wages. Yeah. Same bullshit. It's magical thinking, right? It's like, I would simply not let COVID into the country. It's the same yeah, attitude. And they need to be, because they don't have the real fucking smarts. In, in some places they do, but um, you've got to expose them on this shit. Yeah. It's the same with the potholes or whatever. You've got to say, what are you going to do about What is your plan? Um some, some levers are, are mechanical, like they're attached to the tracks and you can just go and pull them. But other ones are like big chunks of wood that you sh shove in the fissure of the opposing party and just wrench that wide open. Uh, and I think that, and this is why I was talking about Labour can go negative. Um, there's a whole, National has been papering over those cracks 
for for years there is so much to be exposed they they are like an auckland rental um <laughs> with the amount of just crumbling infrastructure they there's so much there that Labour could take advantage of. Just horrible smell look. coming up from beneath the floorboards. Yeah, just yeah. get the crowbar out, babes. Um, like yeah, Christopher let's, Luxon let's show is what a, what's there. Christopher Luxon is a coat of house flipper grey on a mouldy wall. And, all you know, I didn't love uh, Blue Bloods as a book, but all of that shit is still there. All of those players are still in yeah. the mix. You know, success has held them together, and it will be interesting to see if... Now that it's not easy and they're not just, you know, riding a wave of winning back 10% from Acton, New Zealand first to a point where they look credible, whether all of those egos and all of that backbiting starts to show its face again and whether they have the fucking discipline to not turn on themselves like a pack of hungry hyenas. God, I hope they do. Probably my number one... From like at this distance, like I guess media com strategy uh, that the left uh, and, and Labour should should be indulging in is by election time, Labour aren't competing with national. Um, all of that stuff is national having to fight the Greens and saying, look what the Greens are going to do to make Labour do this. Um, and with the Maori Party around some of that um, racist rhetoric, mm-hmm. and Labour's just like. We got nothing to do with this, folks. That national fighting our minority partners, like, and, and they they all look like a real mess. Um, Greens look more serious. The Party Māori look more serious because they're taking on um, a major party, uh, and and getting news generated out of that. And Labour gets to say we're just getting on with it. That's probably like where they want to end up uh, come election time. And make them fight the ACT Party. I think this is the thing. Is that this is. 2000 uh, some of our listeners are probably not old enough to remember what 2005 was like um <laughs> i unfortunately at this point am it was it was fucking horrid it was fucking stressful but in the end it worked and i think national are not fully baked yet christopher luxon was pulled in th- three years too early and they're not up for it so to the extent that they can have to fight the act party for you know um whatever stupid unhinged racist bullshit good like let them fight encourage them to fight find and don't the be drawn in if it's just if it's creating yes. media noise don't get drawn into it because this no. has always been the instinct it's like oh that's where all the, the news media is all news is good news no this is how this shit won't be we're not gonna no. we're not we, we we're not gonna comment on intra-party fighting on the yeah, right, that's be what I like to hear because it's got it's got nothing to do with the actual business of improving new zealanders lives um, we have forgotten there is one other thing out there that may cause national some trouble. Judith Collins is still an MP, everyone. <laughs> she's out there. It's like the fucking shark in Jaws. Yeah, she's yeah just, she wants she's just She's just waiting, man. She's. I was just checking out. She's the foreign direct investment spokesman, the spokesperson, which is ironic or Avida, etc. She's also digitizing government, and she's the AI rep, which is the digitizing awesome. government. Having a woman who failed the Voigt-Kampf test as your AI <laughs> spokesperson. Yes. Yes. That I love how stupid. I love this shit. 
it's so stupid and it's hilarious but it also does fucking terrify me because if they do get in which they still could Mm -hmm. um you know uh if you work an email a junior level emails job in government and it looks like judith collins is going to be minister for digitization i would encourage you to train up in a practical skill because that's like i'm i'm only half kidding when i say that like the tories are going to have to cut the budget because it's what they do they've got to pay for the taxes somehow um and your paycheck can be replaced by chat G, you know, you can be replaced by chat GPT. Um, she also was minister for blockchain or spokesperson for blockchain at some point. So maybe <laughs> I'm exaggerating here, um, but you're right. That shit's still out there. She's not the only one, the fucking. We always knew that she was a crypto fascist though. <laughs> well, what a horrible pun to end it on. Um, let, let's wrap it up there, folks. Uh, it's been another episode of One of Two Hundred. Uh, if you've enjoyed our analysis, if you've enjoyed listening to the people who get it right, um, we've got a Patreon link down below. Uh, come and support us. Uh, we run only on your donations and our own free labor. Share it around. Give us a retweet. Uh, fave, like, um, publish it on your own blog. Uh, do put, whatever you want. Put us on. Put us on TikTok. Put us on TikTok. It's... Yeah, cut it. Um, there's. We we're not going to DMCA you for for cutting our our cool takes um, and putting them over music. Yeah, wow. We're looking forward to, to seeing what the political year has ahead for us. Uh, thanks for joining me, Rusty and John. A pleasure. And we'll catch you next week. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full the relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism You don't hate your 